chapter 24 tonight. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. And Stephen has got one, two, three, four, about nine Bibles in his hands. Although he might say he has eight Bibles in his hands. I don't know. Uh. <laughs> Before service, they were counting how many light bulbs we have here to get changed. And, and James and uh, um, Jacob had the, the same number. And Stephen knew that that number was wrong a couple times, six times. So. <laughs> These IT guys, you know, they just. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 24, let's have a word of prayer before we dig in. Father, we thank you for this time tonight, Lord, that we could just gather together, Lord, and have just a time together of of believers. Uh, Lord, excited to hear from your word and from you, Lord, and excited to be able to worship you through song. And Lord, what a blessing that you've given to us, Lord, this body of believers that we can gather together like this. Lord, we thank you for it. We don't take it for granted. Father, we thank you for this facility you've given us, Lord, to, to meet as well. And Father, we pray your blessing upon the children downstairs as they're being taught your word. Uh, Lord, as you speak through Gabe and he teaches the youth downstairs, Lord, that you would give those youth attentive ears, Lord, to hear what they need to hear, Lord. And, and uh, Father, what we all need to hear from your word. And so we just ask your blessing upon our night tonight. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, chapters 24, 25, and 26, the three we're going to look at this evening, are very interesting in that they deal with a time known as the Day of the Lord. And I think we we almost all know what that means. When you come across that phrase, it speaks of the time when the Lord's going to intervene in history in a way that's going to be obvious to the entire world. We're now in the age of grace, as God poured out His Spirit upon His church, and God offers forgiveness and, and grace to His Son, Jesus Christ. But very soon, that church age is going to be over. God's going to remove us, His church, in the rapture to make way for His wrath to be poured out for seven years on a Christ-rejecting world. That is the theme of these three chapters tonight. We begin in verse 1 of chapter 24. It says, Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty and makes it waste, distorts its surface, and scatters abroad its inhabitants. When you look at Revelation chapters 6 to 19, you realize that the world is going to experience events of such magnitude that it will seem as if, the, as if the whole surface of the earth is distorted here, as it says in verse 1. We know Revelation chapter 8, verse 5 begins with noises and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Chapter 8, verse 7, there's hail and fire followed mingled with uh, blood and they're thrown to the earth and a third of the trees are burned up and, and uh, all the green grass is burned up. You move on in Revelation chapter 8, verse 8, and something like a great mountain burning with fire is thrown into the sea, and the third of the sea becomes blood. Uh, chapter 8, verse 10, a great star from heaven fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on the third of the rivers, under the springs of the water. So you go back to verse 1, Isaiah, we understand when he says, Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty and makes it waste. It distorts its surface, scatters abroad the inhabitants. Look at verses 2 through 6. And it shall be... As with the people, so with the priests. As with the servant, so with his master. As with the maid, so with her mistress. As with the buyer, so with the seller. As with the lender, so with the borrower. As with the creditor, so with the debtor. The land shall be entirely emptied and utterly plundered. For the Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourns and fades away. The world languishes and fades away. The haughty people of the earth languish. The earth is also defiled under its inhabitants. 
because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, the curse has devoured the earth, and those who dwell in it are desolate. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men are left. The, the, the great tribulation is going to be the great equalizer. No one's going to care who lives in the biggest house, you know, or, 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 or who has the fanciest car, or, or you know, when 50-pound hailstorms come from heaven. It's that day when God's judgment falls on this planet. Everybody's going to be looked at equally. They're going to all be equally distressed. Even the rich and the mighty will ask the rocks to fall upon them and kill them and not be able to die. Why would such devastation be in store for a planet? Because its inhabitants have continually broken God's commandments, we read. Throughout history, God has said if we reject His word, a curse will result. As a matter of fact, the very first sin of rebellion to God's command brought curse upon the earth. Remember Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, the Lord spoke to Adam after he ate of the tree. And the Lord said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. He says, Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you should eat of it all the days of your life. First, from the first sin came the first curse. And ever since then, God has set before mankind the choice of either blessing or curse. I mean, he did this very clearly with, the, with uh, the Israelites in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Lord says, I will call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Now, unfortunately, generation after generation has chosen the curse over the blessings, death over life. And yet there's coming a time when the full measure of that sin will overflow and the earth will, the earth will suffer uh, the curse of the great tribulation. Look at verses now 7 through 14. The new wine fails, the vine languishes, all the merry-hearted sigh, the mirth of the tambourine ceases, the noise of the jubilant ends, the joy of the harp ceases. They shall not drink wine with a song. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. The city of confusion is broken down. Every house is shut up so that no none may go in. There is a cry for wine in the streets. All joy is darkened. The mirth of the land is gone. In the city, desolation is left, and the gate is stricken with destruction. When it shall be thus in the midst of the land among the people, it shall be like the shaking of an olive tree, like the gleaning of grapes when the vintage is done. They shall lift up their voice. They shall sing for the majesty of the Lord. They shall cry aloud from the sea. And we know new wine is a symbol of joy in the scriptures because it speaks of the abundance of the harvest. Uh, when there's this grain, there's new wine, oil, and honey, it's a good year and, and is a reason for cheer. In fact, David said in Psalm 4, verse 7, you have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increase. So it's a sign of, sign of, of joy, a sign of, in, uh, of, of uh, gladness. But here Isaiah, the prophet, tells us that there'll be no joy, no gladness during the outpouring of God's judgment. In fact, not only will the earth be distorted, but Ben's life will be destroyed, we read. We're told in Revelation chapter 6 that one-fourth of the world will be wiped out by war. Revelation 9 tells us scorpions will wipe out one-third of those who remain. It's no wonder the new wine fails, the vine languishes, and all the merry-hearted sigh. Joy has no place in the tribulation period. There will be no harvest because the vine is decaying. Even those who try to get drunk, you know, try to drown all their sorrows, you know, that it's bitter to them. They can't drink. No one will be able to escape the, the, the desolation and destruction. 
See, that's why God devotes over one-fourth of His Word to not only telling us of His love and grace and mercy, but warning us of the consequences if we don't turn from our sin, if we don't respond to the Gospel. See, sin must be dealt with, it must be judged, or else God would not be just or holy. And again, God has given man that choice to submit to the one who bore the judgment for his sin on the cross of Calvary or to face the judgment that will be hurled upon him during the day of the tribulation period. Now look at verses 15 and 16. Therefore, glorify the Lord in the dawning light, the name of the Lord God of Israel in the coastlands of the sea. From the ends of the earth we have heard songs, glory to the righteous. But I said, I am ruined, ruined, woe to me. The treacherous dealers have dealt treacherously. Indeed, the treacherous dealers have dealt very treacherously. Interesting that Isaiah points out that the worship songs were being sung. You know, glory to the righteous, they sang. But God was hearing something different. See, in that day, as in now, there are lots of people singing worship songs, but, but there was not a whole lot of worship really going on. It wasn't with sincerity. And that's because God listens to hearts, not lips. He sees through the hypocrisy. Understand that the words of a worship song mean nothing to the Lord if the heart of the person singing it doesn't love the Lord. Jesus put it this way to the Pharisees in Mark 7, verses 6 and 7. He said, Well did Isaiah the prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, The people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines of the commandments of men. See, Jesus was quoting from Isaiah 29, but the point is the same. It's the same as what, what God said back in chapter 1. In fact, keep your place in chapter 24 and turn back to chapter 1 of, of Isaiah. Look at verse 11 through 15 of chapter 1. Be ready to turn back to 24 right away. It says there in verse 11, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? He says, in verse 11, I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I don't delight in the blood of bulls or in the lambs of, of, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They're troubled to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear your hands are full of blood. You see, whether it's a worship song, a prayer, an offering, a trip to church, God is looking at our hearts. Not at the religious action. He's blessed if it's genuine. He's sickened if it's not. Again, in Isaiah's day, they were singing glory to the righteous one, but they were still dealing treacherously with other people, lying and deceiving and betraying one another. And so he says to his, to, to his listeners, hey, listen, don't stop singing the song. Just start meaning what, what you're saying. Live what you're singing. Now turn back to chapter 24. Look at verses 17 through 20. He says, Fear in the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of the earth. And it shall be that he who flees from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit. And he who comes up from the midst of the pit shall be caught in the snare. For the windows from on high are open, and the foundations of the earth are shaken. The earth is violently broken. The earth is split open. The earth is shaken exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard, and shall totter like a hut. Its transgression shall be heavy upon it, and it will fall and not rise again. 
I mean, it's no wonder that the earth will reel to and fro or, or wobble like a drunkard because of what we just read in Revelation chapter 8, even the mountains being cast into the sea. The earth is violently broken. The earth is split open, verse 19 read or said. Now, I'm always amazed at people who talk about trying to live through the Great Tribulation. You know, uh, you know oh man, I'm just going to make it through the Great Tribulation. You know, it's not like, like you know, going to a survival camp or camping out. No matter where you turn, I mean, you're going to face death. I mean, those who hear that the city has been destroyed, they will, they'll think, well, I'm going to find safety. I'm going to flee to this other place, to that place. But while they're running, what we just read, they're going to fall into another pit and then another pit. I mean, there literally will be no way out. He who flees shall fall into the pit and he who comes up from the midst of the pit shall be caught in the snare. In other words, there's no escape. But he goes on, look at verse 21. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will punish on high the host of exalted ones. And on the earth, the kings of the earth, they will be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit and will be shut up in the prison. After many days, they will be punished. I believe verse 21 and 22 refer to the rulers and high places, which are our demonic spirits. We're told that uh, as the tribulation comes to an end, Satan and his demons will be cast into this pit for a thousand years. Now, you remember that uh, the demon said to Jesus, hey, don't throw us in the, into the pit before time. They were pleading with Jesus uh, that he wouldn't throw them into a pit. You know, he was, was going to cast them out uh, of this man. And so they said, don't, don't, don't cast us in that pit before our time. They, they knew about this. They said, Jesus, if you're going to cast us out, cast us into that herd of swine. So Jesus, if you recall, he agreed to the request and cast them into the pigs. And all of the pigs who are now demon-possessed went over the side of the cliff and all committed this mass suicide. The first case of deviled ham in history. But the point is, they knew that their time would come when they would be cast into the abuso with Satan. Where Satan and his demons would be bound in the pit for a thousand years. Then we know following the thousand-year period of peace and prosperity, when Jesus reigns from Jerusalem, God will loose, loosen Satan and his demons. Why? Well, because during the millennium, during that thousand years, generations are going to be born that will not have had the opportunity to see good and evil in a clear way and to be able to choose the Lord. So, so Satan will be let loose and he'll attempt to see people once again. And this will give people one more chance to decide whether to follow the Lord or to be seduced by Satan and fall into sin. At that point, Satan and all those that have rejected Jesus Christ will be cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. Verse 22 is promising that punishment. Now verse 23 takes us to the end of the tribulation. Then the moon will be disgraced and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before his elders gloriously. I like that word, gloriously. Immediate after the great tribulation, the moon and the sun... It's going to be disgraced in, into comparison to the brightness of the glory of the Lord. I mean, the moon and the sun is going to be like nothing compared to Jesus. And, and it's going to be dim as Jesus will rule and reign for that thousand years in Jerusalem. Now, this is how chapter 25 begins. Look at verse 1 of chapter 25. We now enter the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. Verse 1 says, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithful and truth. For you have made a city a ruin, a fortified city a ruin, a palace of foreigners to be a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, the strong people will glorify you. The city of the terrible nations will fear you. For you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, 
a shade from the heat, for the blast of the terrible one once is as a storm against the wall. You will reduce the noise of aliens as heat in a dry place, as heat in the shadow of a cloud. The song of the terrible ones will be diminished. So those who survive the great tribulation period will at last realize that Jesus is Lord and they'll be saved. That is those that did not take the mark of the beast. Those who didn't pledge their allegiance to the Antichrist. And we see those here bursting forth in praise as they acknowledge God's power over every powerful city, army, and government. At the same time, we read of the praises to the Lord for His attention to the weak and to the defenseless, strength to the poor and strength to the needy. Then in verse 6 we read, And in this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees. Lees are the, the sediments at the bottom of a wine jar. Of fat things full of uh, marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees. And he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. In other words, the heaviness and the darkness and the destruction of the tribulation will be swallowed up by the joy of the Lord during the millennium. I like that it says we will feast on fat things. Eating fat things are not going to be a problem for us in the millennium. That, I mean, I can't wait. I don't have to worry about putting on weight. Man, I'll take that. Yeah, don't, don't cut off the fat of that. That'll be great. I'll have that. Look at verse 8. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of His people He will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Now, if you just read that verse without me giving you the address, if I didn't just read that verse, you didn't know we were, it was out of Isaiah, what would you think of? I think, I think of Revelation chapter 7, verse 17. It kind of says the same thing. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Or maybe when you saw that about wiping away the tears, you thought of Revelation 21.4, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Or you may think, hey, maybe he's talking about 1 Corinthians 15, 54 and 55, where it says, when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that it is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? You see, all those verses I quoted are taken from this verse in Isaiah here. Isaiah 25, 8 is just one more place showing us in the Old Testament the promise of hope to all those that have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because all those verses hinge on the, the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death will no longer be victorious because Jesus Christ paid the price for our sin. When he died on the cross, the penalty had been paid in full. Jesus conquered death because the grave couldn't hold a sinless Savior. In the same way, death is no longer victorious over all those that have put their faith and trust in him. Every tear that we shed because of the suffering that sin and death brought into the world will be wiped away by our great God and Savior. Now verse 9 in Isaiah 25. I love this. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him and He will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. We will be glad and rejoice in His salvation. Man, haven't we been all waiting for the Lord's return? I mean, can't you? Man, we're waiting for you. waiting for you. Isaiah says they'll be saying, Behold, this is our God. We've waited for Him and waited for Him. And yet the Lord tells us in Revelation 22.12, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I say, our wait is almost over. I mean, can you imagine the joy 
as we're all sitting around in eternity. And maybe even talking about this Bible study tonight. Remember when we were talking about, oh, we waited and waited and waited on the Lord. And we're here. Now we're actually in the Lord's presence. Do you remember how that was? It's like a, a you know, kid waiting to go to Disneyland and finally getting into Disneyland and going, can you believe it? We're actually here. That's what I think this is saying here. Verse 10. For on this mountain the hand of the Lord will rest, and Moab shall be trampled down under him, as straw is trampled down for the refuse heap. And he will spread out his hands in the midst as a swimmer reaches out to swim. And he will bring down their pride together with the trickery of their hands. The fortress of the high fort of your walls he will bring down, lay low, and bring to the ground, down to the dust. This is going back down to the judgment that God had done and that we looked at already. He's saying judgment is going to come like a swimmer who reaches out to swim. I was a swimmer growing up, raced a lot. And when you swim, man, you reach out as far as you can with your hand. And you cup that water so you can pull as much water so you can get as much speed and, and as you can to thrust yourself forward as you go. Isaiah is saying that God's judgment is going to be swift. It's going to be powerful. And the Lord is saying what he has begun, he will finish. Okay, chapter 26. Continues in the kingdom age. Look at verse 1. And that day... This song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation will keep the truth may enter in. Chapter 25 ended with the Lord bringing a swift and powerful judgment. Chapter 26 begins with the millennium again with, that will be marked with the Jews singing about the security that they now have. Finally, in Judah. I mean, Jerusalem may be called the city of peace, but no other city has been more bitterly fought over than Jerusalem. The past 4,000 years, it has seen at least 118 conflicts. It has been destroyed at least twice. It has been besieged 23 times and has had at least five separate periods of violent terrorist attacks in the past century. No wonder during the millennium the Jews will finally be able to sing the song, Open the gates, the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. Then verse 3, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. I love, I love that verse, but I love as we go along in the book of Isaiah, we get these, these gold nuggets that are in here. And this is just this, this gold nugget. I think of over in Luke chapter 8 when Jesus was asleep on the boat and the weather started getting rough and the disciples started to freak out and they'd forgotten the promise of God. They forgot that Jesus said, hey, let's go to the other side. And instead, they're freaking out and, and, and they're waking up Jesus. They say, Lord, don't you see the storm is horrible? Don't you know we're, we're perishing? And it says there in Luke 8, 24, Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was calm. There was just this, this, this peace. My point being is that, that we can be in the will of God. We can be obeying the will of God and following the Lord, but, but storms are going to come. God has not promised to take away all of our troubles, but He's promised that you can experience His peace in the midst of trouble. He will give you His peace if, if your mind is stayed on Him. Perfect peace, we read. So often our minds are not on, on Him, but they're on everything else, other things. And, and when we have our minds on other things, that ultimately affects what we do. If you're always playing the, the what-if game, it's going to drive you crazy. What happens if, if this happens? Well, what if I say this and they say that? Or what if I lose my job? Or what if my kids get sick? Or what if just, this just isn't a cold? But what if stuff will drive you crazy? Isaiah says, God will keep you in perfect peace if your mind stays focused on Him. Because why? You trust in Him. You trust in Him for the what ifs. 
We're told in 2 Corinthians 10.3 that we should cast down every imagination and everything that exalts itself against God and bring every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Fill your minds with the things of God. Philippians 4.8 Brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are, are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, think on these things. These things that, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So God will keep you in perfect peace if your mind is on Him. Then He goes on, look at verse 4. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. Now that word Yah is short for Yahweh. So holy is, is the name of the Lord that the Old Testament scribes wouldn't even write out the vowel sounds, rendering it Y-A-H or, or Y-H-W-H, an, an unspeakable name that, that since about the 12th century has been pronounced as Yahweh or Jehovah. But not only would the scribes not write the Lord's name because uh, you render the Lord's name unspeakable, but, but tradition says that after they would write the, the Y-H-W-A or Y-A-H, then they would take the pen and they would, they, would, they would throw it away. They would get rid of it. They would get rid of it. And yet, Psalm 138, verse 2, the psalmist writes, I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above all your name. The Lord honors his word above his name. How important is the word, man of utmost importance? So Isaiah says, trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. He goes on, look at verse 5. For it brings down those who dwell on high, the lofty city, he lays it low. He lays it low to the ground. He brings it down to the dust. The foot shall tread it down. The feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. The way of the just is uprightness. O most upright, you weigh the path of the just. Yes, in the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you. The desire of our soul is for your name and for the remembrance of you. With my soul I have desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me I will seek you early. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Like verse 8, the cry is, O Lord, we have waited for you. He says, with my soul, I have desired you in the night. Have you ever gone to bed and you're just lying there in bed and all you can think about is the Lord's return? Oh, Lord. Man, it could happen right now. Man, you could just be raptured out of here right now. And then you start thinking about, man, there'd be no more pain, no more suffering. Man, how God's going to wipe away every tear. And then in the morning, Isaiah says, but my spirit within me, I will seek you early. I tell you, when you're lying in bed at night, thinking of the goodness of God, and the love of God, and the return of Jesus Christ, and you get up early in the morning seeking the Lord, I mean, that's a surefire way to experience the perfect peace of the Lord that we read about in verse 3. I mean, I mean, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you evening and morning because he trusted you. Try tonight. It's my challenge for you guys tonight. Just as you're laying in bed, start thinking about the Lord's return. You probably get excited then you won't be able to go to sleep. But, but think about the Lord's return. And then first thing in the morning, crack open your Bible and just start, start just you know, seeking the Lord. Man, perfect peace will bless your day. Verses 10 and 11. Let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness he will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Lord, when your hand is lifted up, they will not see. But they will see and be ashamed for their envy of people. Yes, the five of your enemies shall devour them. The day is coming when God will rule this earth as a king on the earth. Righteousness will be imposed with a rod of iron. 
And that's not going to erase the, the sinful nature of man, the old nature of man. In spite of the grace shown to him, the wicked man will still sin. He's not going to learn righteousness, we read here. This is one of the aspects of the millennial reign of Christ where, where people are often not aware of. There will still be people there who deal unjustly, who are still going to reject the ways of God. <coughs> Excuse me. Which I can't believe how they could do that, but they will. And, but see, that's why I don't believe that, that we can turn our country to righteousness through legislation. Oh, if we just get the right laws out there and the right people in, 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 uh, you know, in place. Listen, prohib- uh, prohibition didn't stop people from desiring to drink or, or outlawing drugs that didn't stop drug users. Don't misunderstand me. I'm, I'm all for getting rid of you know, alcohol and drugs. But think about it. We're fooling ourselves if we think by, by mandating righteousness where it's going to result in righteous people. It, it doesn't happen that way. I mean, the, pro- the approach isn't even going to work when God uh, is the president. Ultimately, though, the only way to separate the righteous from the unrighteous will be to release Satan at the end of the millennial reign and give people the choice of whom they want to follow. And those who follow Satan will be devoured by fire. Verse 12 and 13. Lord, you will establish peace for us. We have also done all our works in us. O Lord our God, masters beside you have had dominion over us, but by you only we make mention of your name. Now this is Israel speaking to the Lord concerning God's dealing with Israel when God's judgment came in the land. He taught the people righteousness. But in their time of prosperity, uh, they forgot God. They turned their backs on God and, and the foreign masters had dominion over us. But now they're saying, but you have punished and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. But I like in verse 12, it says that, for you've also done all our works in us. That reminds me of Philippians 2, verse 13, where it says, It is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. It it completely destroys any self-righteousness that you may have. Anytime I start thinking that, uh, uh, full of myself, thinking, man, I've I've done this really good thing, I'm immediately humbled when, when I remember that God has done it in me for His good pleasure. For you have also done all our works in us. He does that work in us. Verse 14, they are dead, they will not live. They are deceased, they will not rise. Therefore you have punished and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. You have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have expanded all the borders of the land. The Lord is saying here through Isaiah that that the earthly rulers who opposed Israel, they're going to be punished. They're, They're never going to rise to power again. Now this could also be talking about the end for unbelievers after the great tribulation period. It does not mean that they will not have a resurrection. They will have a resurrection, but it's one to eternal punishment. Now this brings us to verse 16. And these people are in great distress. Why? Because they're in the middle of the great tribulation. What do they do? Well, they cry out to God. Look at verse 16. Lord, in trouble they have visited you. They poured out a prayer when your chastening was upon them. As a woman with a child is in pain and cries out in her pangs, when she draws near to the time of her delivery, so we have been in your sight, O Lord. So here's a picture of someone who's in great pain, but who has a hope that the pain is going to be worth it. You know, there's a child is going to be born. Well, Isaiah goes on, look at verse 18. We have been with child, we have been in pain, we have, as it were, brought forth wind. We have not accomplished any deliverance in the earth, nor have the inhabitants of the world fallen. See, instead of going through all the, the, the difficulty and the pain of childbirth and giving birth to a baby, it's as if they've, they've, they've gone through all the difficulty and only produced wind. 
You know, wind is just a lack of deliverance. They've labored and tried, but haven't been able to find any deliverance from the great tribulation. Why? Because they've rejected the only one that could deliver them from this, which is Jesus Christ. But, verse 19, Your dead shall live, together with my dead body they shall arise. Awake and seeing you who dwell in dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Now, both the King James and the New King James Version has that phrase, with my dead body, though some other versions, they don't uh, include that in. But some commentators have suggested this is, this is prophetic. This is as though Jesus is speaking here. It's because of his resurrection that we have a promise of a life after death. Just as the morning dew refreshes the plants and brings them back to life, God will also raise the dead. And this ties into verse 20 and 21. He says, Come, my people, Enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. Verse 20, the Lord says, Come, my people, enter your chambers. So Isaiah, speaking for the Lord, prophesies a time where God's people are invited to come, invited to find refuge. He says, shut the doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is passed. That means the place is going to be secure. So God's people are secure in chambers with the door shut behind them. They're hidden securely. For how long? Again, for a little moment until the indignation is passed. Then again, verse 21, For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. When is this time when God's people are carried away, securely hidden from a great time of indignation the Lord brings upon the earth? Again, I believe this points to the great tribulation as it hits the planet earth. There'll be some, some believing Jews alive, they'll go into hiding. This picture is almost like that of the first Passover, you know, where the Jewish nation will go indoors that night, covering the doorpost with, with the blood of the lamb as the angel of the death passed over them and killed all the firstborn of Egypt. This could be speaking of the deliverance of the Jewish people from the fury of the Antichrist. We talked about this before, about three and a half years into the tribulation period as they'll go and they'll, they'll, they'll run maybe to the rock city of Petra in Jordan. It could be. But I like to look at this verse as it also speaking of the rapture of the church, the refuge, the safety, the security of God's people when they are caught up together to be with the Lord in the air. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. As God's people are, are caught up together with the Lord, we escape the horrific indignation of the Lord as he pours out upon this Christ-rejecting world. Again, for the behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. So when we read the Lord saying in verse 20, Come, my people, enter your chambers. To me, that could be the same thing we read in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, where John writes, After these things I looked, and behold, the door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up for here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. See, seen in that way, verse 20, it's a powerful passage supporting the teaching of the pre-tribulation rapture where Jesus will, will remove his church from this earth right before the time of this great tribulation period. Come, my people, enter your chambers, shut the doors. 
that great truth about the rapture of the church, the second coming, the great tribulation, all found here in the book of Isaiah. And who would have thought? It's great, great stuff here tonight. So for us, we need to be ready. We need to be ready as if the Lord could come back today because he could. I've shared this before. I don't want to be ashamed at the Lord's coming. I certainly don't want to be arguing with my wife or with my kids when the rapture hits. I told you to not poof and be before the Lord. You know, it's like, all right, Lord, I, I want to be ready. Ready to meet the Lord. Ready, ready to be with him. So tonight I'm going to be thinking about the Lord's return and get up in the morning. I'm going to be seeking the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time tonight, Lord. We thank you, though the world, Lord, is going to experience a time that this earth has never seen or never will ever see again. You have promised, Lord, to remove your church, to take us to a place of safety. Lord, to bring us to your chambers. Lord, we are excited for that. Lord, we can't wait. And Lord, we long for the day that we can gather around you and your throne and say, can you believe it? We're here. We waited and we waited, but we're here. Lord, we long for that day. But Lord, our heart still grieves for those that don't know you, Lord. As we look at what will come upon the face of this earth, Lord, Lord, it grieves for loved ones that we know that they don't have a relationship with you. And so we pray for them. We pray for their salvation. Lord, we pray that the blinders would be taken off. They would be able to see their need for a Savior. And Father, help us. Lord, to take serious your word. Lord, that you could return at any moment. Lord, help us to live our lives pleasing to you, honoring you, glorifying you, making a difference in this world around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll stand and do one last song together.